This is 15 Minutes of Freedom. I'm your host, Ryan Nidell, and today's episode is Men Need Bras Too. So here we are in the third episode in which my beautiful wife, Lindsay, is in the studio with me, co-hosting yet another weekly episode of 15 Minutes of Freedom. Hello, everyone. Lucky you guys, right? That's right. Goddamn right. This is the best episode of the week for me because I get to spend an extra hour or so out of the day with my wife that I don't typically get to spend. No, it's nice. Just shoot the shit for a little bit. Yeah, and she, it's uh, the third episode here, and she feels much more comfortable. Like, even the way that she's corresponding sitting in the chair, you guys can't see it, obviously, through the radio or iTunes or whatever the fuck you're listening to us from. <laughs> but if you go to our YouTube channel, which is just Ryan Nidell, at, you know, the YouTube channel Ryan Nidell, you'll actually see how stunning she is and the fact that she makes me look two or three times better than I already look. So, Aww, thanks, honey. It works out okay. And all that leads into today's topic of conversation, which is men need bras too. And I'm not talking about the fact that you have high estrogen and you haven't been in the gym in six months or six years or six decades and your man boobs are sagging. Man boobs are not attractive. That's dad bod style. Yeah, I've heard that before, that you women don't really like dad bods all that mm-hmm. much. I mean, I personally don't, but I like big dudes. It's fair. I guess there's that whole dad bod thing for a while. They were trying to get it to pass like that was a good way to look. Like it was sexy. Yeah, like that was okay for men to have dad bods, but don't you dare have a quote-unquote mom bod, which is yeah, a bunch no. of bullshit. No, no mom bod. <laughs> so in that, we're not talking support in the fact of your saggy man boobs that you could or could not have. I'm talking physical support in your daily life. Like, how is your partner supporting you and vice versa? What are you doing to support them? Because it's so easy to me with the way that the world works now. You know, you get up and you have this routine. And whether it's a good routine, an eventful routine, an expansive routine – or a bullshit routine, we all have them. You know, I view the world a little cynically that most people get up at 7 o'clock to be at work by 8. They rush to get in the shower, have a cup of coffee before they leave the house. Maybe if they remember, kiss their spouse goodbye, kiss their kids goodbye, have brief conversations, get angry and leave the house at 7.30, fight rush hour traffic, get to the office, barely sneak in the door right at 8 o'clock, and are fucking miserable at their job until they leave at 5 And then do the same thing in reverse, like fight rush hour traffic home, come home, they don't have any time to decompress, they're mad at their wife, they're mad at their kids, they snap, they drink, like it's just a fucking horrible way to live life. But that's a a pattern, that is a a thing of consistency that people get into Monday through Friday. A lot of people live that way. I know a bunch of people live that way. And if that's what makes you happy, then by all means do it. I know there's a bunch of other ways to live life, but whatever. If you don't have the support from your partner – in that aspect of life or the aspect to change your life, it's going to be really tough to achieve it. And I had relationships in my life where the support for what I truly wanted wasn't there. The support ended up being a give and a take for what I could provide would dictate the amount of support that I got. If I could pay for another vacation, if I could buy a new purse or buy a new pair of shoes or whatever the fuck it was, I got more support. But if my ambitions didn't line up with more money to support another habit, I wasn't really supported. Like, it's crazy. And I can say that now coming from the fact of, again, sitting across from my wife here and knowing that she has supported all the crazy, dumb shit that I've wanted to do almost since I've known her. And you, as people listen and and know you better, you are a wing it kind of guy. So... Well, kind of. Well, there's always. Fuck you. Not completely. No, no. You're you're an entrepreneur at heart. So there's always ideas. You're always bubbling new things up. And you're like, this is cool. Let's do this. That is cool. Let's do that. And it's always a a new venture, a new start. Hobby, business, 
whatever it is, there's always something that's flowing with you. He's deadpanning, looking at me so mad right now. <laughs> I'm not mad at all. So a lot of what she's saying, I would say, is her perspective. Like that's that's the truth that she owns about me. And I can't say that it's an untruth personally. I would say a lot of the ideas that I have end up being in the same vein of what I know that I'm good at, just different verticals. Oh, 100%. And so there's this entrepreneurial ADD, I'll call it, where everybody wants to make a million dollars tomorrow and we all want the next latest and greatest big idea. And so we run and we hop, skip, and jump, hoping there's going to be some magic money button that we trip and land on and poof, our bank account has a million dollars in it. That's not quite exactly what I'm looking for or how my mind works. No, that is definitely not you at all. But you do focus on things that you're passionate about and that you're good at. Yes, like operational flow of a business and now marketing and automation. Those are things that I'm passionate about, that I feel good about. I'm very critical with my critical thinking and the application of how my mind works. Math and science have always come as second nature to me. Would venture to say I'm probably one of the quickest mathematicians mentally that I've ever come across. You can do numbers in your head like nobody I've ever seen. And not super complicated things. Addition, multiplication, subtraction, nothing... Guinness Book of World Records style, but it, it lends itself into my industry. And so when there's a new product or a new service, whether it's a nootropic that helps with uh, cognitive reasoning or a CBD company that we own or any number of different things for different clients that we have, their ideas are exciting, but they're all loosely in the same vertical. But in all that, I have a whiteboard in my office at home. And Lindsay loves and hates this whiteboard. Oh, it is. a. I mean, yes, love and hate is a good way to explain that. Because I will, once a quarter, twice a quarter, there's no preset time to this. This whiteboard every once in a while gets completely erased, and I write down the anywhere between 6 and 16 opportunities that I have. And I put the name of who's involved, and I put the number of sales that we can do a day, and I put the estimated revenue and the estimated profit. And what it would mean to our family if all these things happened. And the highest it's been has been like $1.7 million a month. And as you're listening to this, I can assure you, I'm not making anywhere near $1.7 million a month. I'm not making $107,000 a month. Like We're nowhere near that. But it's the excitement of looking at this board and be like, man, if everything worked, if I could just get all the buttons to click, this is what would happen. And I'll put that on the board and I'll call Lindsay and I'm like, I just want you to see like all the hard work, all the long hours, all the things, all the ideas, all these, hey, I had this conversation, what do you think about this? Because that goes on in our life. Our, again, the previous um, episode, if you haven't listened to it, back at whatever that was seven days ago, was about our style of communication, how important that is. Mm-hmm. So in that, I'm always communicating with Lindsay. Like, I had this call with this guy. He's got this company. He's helped doing this. What do you think? Yeah, we just kind of bounce that off. And, you know, we walk into the office and look at the whiteboard and see what we've got going on. And in seeing what we have going on, I, up until very recently, have just not been able to really say no to anything. Like, I'm just the Jim Carrey yes to everything, fuck it, we'll figure it out. And that's the winging a part of me, is I know more times in my life than not, I've been able to figure shit out, just get shit done personally. You are a get shit done guy. It hasn't always been the prettiest. It hasn't always been the most successful. Many times I've failed. But through that, I will just go. Like I can figure anything out on the fly. Like I'm so convinced of my ability and my networking and the people I surround myself with and the, the great guys in the company. Like put me up against anybody, I'm fucking all in. And so Lindsay bears a lot of the brunt of that, like being excited to maybe in 30 days take a private plane anywhere in the world to like, oh, fuck, how do we pay rent this month or whatever the fucking dumb thing is that it's not really true. But like whatever those things are like. Yeah, we've not, never been that bad. No, no, not at all. It's, it's nowhere near that. But what ends up happening is I'm an idea guy and I try to vet it out and then she sees it and 
she has wanted to support me, but over time, sometimes it's not easy, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, because you get the uh, illusions of of grandeur, so to speak, and and I can't even call them illusions; I'll call no. them delusions. Yeah, well, like they're not. It's not an illusion. It's the fact in that in your I, head and and with the math and numbers, everything works. The problem is you have to have everybody else put in the same amount of work that you are and you have to have nothing break in the system and you have to every you know everybody needs to put in their part it's not just you and so those things don't make it into account on the board correct and what's happened over enough of these board sessions is my funnel has started to get smaller yeah and i've started to finally walk in my passion and my purpose which is part of what this podcast is and Lindsay's been the biggest supporter of this podcast. You know, when I started, I shared with her that I wanted a podcast. She's like, I don't even know what that really is. Like, No, I never listened to a podcast. And so I try to explain to her loosely what it is, and I encourage her to listen to a couple different ones. And I think I even make her listen to one as we're driving around in the car. Like, just hear what this is. And then she gets a feel for it. She's like, what are you even going to talk about? And I'm like, so I share with her. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through my meditation in the morning, whatever I journal, I'm going to share on, on air and just see what happens with it. And that works for the first week or two. That's about what the episodes are. I'm reading, again, go back to episode one through seven or one through ten. You'll hear me like clicking the mouse on my computer as I'm reading the notes. And it's a lot more canned. It's a lot forced, more forced. Like as Lindsay and I are sitting here in the studio now, if you were to hop on YouTube and see, like we don't have any notes in front of us. There's no teleprompter. She literally, as she sat down, she's like, what are we talking about today? I'm like, "Ah, let me think of a title. And I literally come up with it out of thin air. Tell it to Doug, our associate producer, assistant, the producer of the show, however you want to call it, whatever the right title Doug's is. Doug is a man. Doug is a man. I tell him what it is. He types it in, and, and then we just go. Which is the winging it part of you. Absolutely. But I think there's something so pure and so, so authentic and organic with the way these podcasts come out because they're not overproduced. There's no notes. There's no great sound effects. Not that the audio hopefully doesn't sound great as you're listening to it, but this is just raw interaction. Yeah, I mean, we just sit down and have a conversation about what our normal life and everyday interaction stuff is, about whatever topic that you bring to the table about 30 seconds before we start. Yes. And in that, as I'm meditating, as I'm journaling, doing all these things, it dawns on me. I get this communication. I call it the voice. You guys can call it God. You can call it intuition. Call it your heart, your gut, whatever you want to call it. But something tells me to start sharing real life shit. It just comes to me. And so I asked Lindsay one I don't know if it's morning or afternoon, but I eventually sit down with her and say, what do you think about me being really just vulnerable, authentic, like sharing the bad shit, the shit that people don't really, you're not supposed to talk about, like the cheating and the lying and the failed businesses and the repos and the no money and the the things. And she supports it. Like there's this look of like, are you sure? There's this look of half dollar eyeballs and slightly open jaw and a little bit of a white tinge to her face. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, you have to think about it. I think a majority of the people in our lives, our close people know about our atrocious start to mm-hmm. our relationship. And then um, I feel like even less people knew about the financial situation you were in when we met yeah. or a few months after we met and the house that you owned before I met you and the truck repossession. I mean, there were just minimal to no people that knew about that. And in the internet world, you always have the people that are going to troll behind their computers and their, you know, keyboard warriors that are going to say all kinds of nonsense stuff. And so as a as a wife and as a protector of my husband, I wanted to just say, like, you know, can you take people that are going to attack you for things that you say? And he just kind of looked at me and said, well, yeah, I don't I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. I do it for me. And so that if I can take my truth and share it with somebody else, then hopefully they can learn a lesson 
before they have to learn it the hard way. Like I've already I've already skinned my knees on this. I've already learned it the hard way. Let me share it with somebody else and, you know, keep them from wasting money on band-aids. Absolutely. That was one of the biggest shifts that came from Wake Up Warrior and, and Garrett J. White stuff. If you don't know him, check him out. It's wakeupwarrior.com or kingskit.com or even go to the iTunes store and type in Wake Up Warrior. You'll, you'll see a bunch of stuff from him. I mean, he and this Wake Up Warrior event and movement and book have changed my life completely. Where I went from solely focusing on pleasing other people, essentially, not solely, but it was a big part of who I was, to owning the fact that I don't give a fuck about anything other than myself to start with. Like if we have a saying and it pisses off a lot of people, but if the king doesn't rise, the kingdom dies. And so if I can't own myself and own my positives and negatives, I can never really grow and the marketplace can never validate me. And I don't need validation from the marketplace, but okay, so let's say this podcast launches and I rise number one in the world and I don't share any of this shit. I don't share the dirt. I don't share the, the truck repossessions and the no money and the cheating. And then lo and behold, a year down the road, it starts to come out. Because it's always been there. It didn't. It's not going to disappear because I have a fucking good podcast. No, of course not. And it's happened to you know way more famous and influential people. They don't share their their dirt and their skeletons. And oh looky, all of a sudden people are suing and writing books, and their NDA expired, and all the shit comes out. And so I just own it, and I own it not from a place of at that moment I didn't see the power that I had personally. I was going down a path of exploration, and still am. But I see myself much differently now as Lindsay's supported me and provided me with a lot of that. But I just knew I had to get it out. I knew I didn't want to carry around this weight anymore. I knew that I used to shoot videos in my car when I was selling custom clothing. I would get home, it'd be a 12-hour day, a 26-hour day, whatever it was. And I would literally sit in my car in the driveway. I'd hold my phone up, put it on the steering wheel, I'd prop it up. I had a little suction cup thing that would go on the dashboard. And I would record, I can't even really call it a vlog. There was no production value to it. It was one take. Typically, it was never live back then. It was just a recorded video and I would post it. I'd never rewatch them. I'd never edit them. It was just what it was. And it was either life lessons or things about the day. And those used to get such response, not always positive, but there was response and there was interaction. And it felt like that was the right path. And so when this podcast started to launch and I shared the message that I wanted to take to the market with Lindsay, she supported it. She was nervous, but backed me up in it. I just realized that as a consumer of audio and media and social media and just things in life that you are exposed to, I am sick of seeing the highlight reels of people's life because it inevitably leads to a comparison within your own life. And whether or not you admit this to yourself to be true, you do it. You, oh, you know, Joe Schmo has this and it's the keeping up with the Joneses thing. And, you know, they're in a different position than me, good or bad. And it's a comparison thing. But nobody shares the actual real shit that goes on in their life and the repos and the no money and the cheating and the lying and the bullshit. And everybody has it. So yeah, it's refreshing. I mean, in, in my opinion, it is. I mean, it feels really good. It feels like I'm walking down this path finally for the first time in my 34 years on this planet. That in the past three months, I finally started to just walk in my truth. Like I'm exactly who I'm supposed to be at this moment. I'm not trying to be somebody I'm not. There's no shell. There's no, there's just no bullshit associated with this. Like how I express myself on this episode or on any of these episodes is exactly who I am. You can meet me in person and it's, there's not, it's not heavily produced. There's no filter to this. And that comes a lot from Lindsay supporting that because Lindsay, as I shared in, I believe episode one, she was the first person to see something in me that I didn't know existed. Like she saw that I was great and she told me I was great. 
And she shared with me that I had an ability to lead people or that people would be drawn to me or want to hear what I had to say. And I just think it was fucking crazy because inside I truly felt like a piece of shit. Like I knew all the lies. I knew all the deceit. I knew all the the bad shit. Like it was horrible. And granted, it wasn't horrible enough to make me take action like a man, but it was horrible that it was eroding my soul. It covered up your greatness. I mean, you let that stuff pile on until it shadowed who you truly were. And then you had to dig to find it. Absolutely. And I dig to find it. And I dig and dig. And again, it's we're four, four plus years into our relationship now. And no longer am I digging. Like every day it's presenting itself and I'm sharing it. And you get into the podcast world and then slowly ease into the personal development world. And um, I can't even, I hate to call it coaching, but some sort of success coaching, some sort of expanding people's mindsets that want their mindsets expanded. Like this, this podcast is great. And you guys obviously know at this point, there's no monetization path to it. There's no, I'm not asking you to buy anything. I'm not hawking products or pitching things to you. Eventually that day might come as my listenership increases and there's products that I value and enjoy. It'd be foolish for me not to offer them to you guys as things of value. And if I can provide you guys discounts or things like that, like I'm going to absolutely do it when the time is right. Sure. But knowing you and how we operate as a family, that's not ever something that's not going to be in our home that's being used. Of course. Yeah. And it, it's just not on the forefront of my mind right now. Like, Admittedly, listeners, right now, I've been offered basically 30000 to $40,000 a month to advertise on this show. Yep. Our family could really use $40,000 a month, just as anybody's family could use fucking $40,000 a month. Like, oh, of course. Again, that's more money than I made my, almost more money than I made my first year out of college. So it, it matters a lot. But it doesn't matter enough to water down the message and change the authenticity of who I am. Like, I don't drink Starbucks coffee. I never have. I don't like coffee. So I don't care if Starbucks wants to pay me, and they don't. I'm not degrading Starbucks. But if Starbucks was one that approached me and wanted me to advertise Starbucks, I can't do it. It's not real. I mean, I like Dunkin' Donuts coffee, so. And you drink Starbucks, and Tim Hortons. Like, fucking Lindsay drinks coffee all the time. I love coffee. But all these things and pieces all come from owning who I am. But I can't really own who I am if I don't have the support from Lindsay behind me. And it's contradictory to the message of owning myself and knowing the power that I have inside me. But as a healthy relationship should correspond, in my opinion, Lindsay backs me up and vice versa. Because there's days where I don't see it anymore. Like I I go through the same actionable products and actionable items every day. Mm -hmm. The core four, the stack, the gym, the eating healthy. Like I do this stuff every day. But there's some days I wake up, I'm like, I'm just not going to be successful. Like this podcast, nobody's gonna care. Like, and she's the one to you know pat me on the ass and say like, you gotta go do this. Like, keep going. Yeah, because it, as you say, you outlast the suck of it. I mean, you've been telling me that for the better part of a year now. I'm just, you have to be like anybody. You need a partner that's going to remind you and and support you in the fact that what you're doing is the right thing. And I've seen the changes in you. Now that you believe who you are and you found your greatness and, you know, there's going to be some person that's listening to this that says, well, I don't have greatness in me. Everybody does. And you certainly were the prime example of somebody that said, I don't have shit. Like I have lied. I have cheated. I have just been a bad person. Like this doesn't exist for me. And I always saw it because you wear your heart on your sleeve and you're a fixer by nature. And you guys will learn as you listen more to him. Ryan is a genius about backing 
out of a situation, like finding the back end of a situation to kind of dissect what you want the outcome to be. So he can, say you want outcome A, he will take the steps from A to Z and he will work his way backwards to figure out how to get to that end point of A. Like where does that path lead? And I have never seen anybody be able to do it like you do it. And you can figure out, I mean, you're just a genius in that. And so that that's part of your gift in helping to lead people. He's smirking right now because he... I am because I, I admittedly, who doesn't like adulation? Like I love the fact my wife adores me that way. But I also love it because in this moment, she's exactly fucking right. Yes. Like I know as the next change and evolution of my life comes, like I'm starting to book public speaking events and things like that. Like this is giving me the power to start changing men's lives. Like I've made a commitment that by the end of August, every episode will get about 30,000 downloads. Right now we're getting about 10. At 30,000 downloads, after 30, 35 days, I'll be touching a million people's lives a day. Now that's not because I give a shit. There's not some plaque you get for hitting a million people's lives. No, it's because it makes a difference to you huge difference because I know through that there's going to be a subset of people that want more information that when I launch my book at the end of October Mm -hmm. and I can put something in your hand that says like if you follow this shit if you do this this all worked for me like here's pieces from 57 different books I've read and 12 different seminars I've been to and here's how this all works actionably to you and I can hand it to you and be proud of it because I fucking wrote it yeah. And then that turns into more speaking, which turns into more coaching and development, which turns into me filling up my cup in a way that I didn't know was possible that I always fucking wanted. Like I always wanted this shit. I yes. just never had the support system behind me saying like you should do it. Like you have the tools because I was self-defeating. I think most men, laugh, not even laughingly, it's sad, but we all do it in my opinion. Our developmental ages from four until 12 for most of us, there's some fucked up stuff that goes on. Now, you could have a perfect upbringing. And everything could be beautiful. Two parents love each other. Everybody's faithful. Dinner tonight, dinner every night together. Dad doesn't travel. They make a million dollars a year. Like, come up with your idealistic upbringing. But from that, during those developmental ages of you know four to twelve, there's some things that get ingrained in your subconscious that if someone doesn't help you dissect and analyze and grow through, they're going to cripple your growth and later in life. Lindsay said on a past episode that her mother was very negative. Mm-hmm. She still is. A God lover. She's just, she's a negative person. Yeah. And, and not in a, like, I don't know how to, ex- it doesn't mean she's a bad person. She just, she will always think of the worst case scenario and it has a negative tone to it. Yeah. And that was, uh, my, my father raised me much the same way where if you plan for the worst case scenario, if you plan for the worst thing, then anything that happens above and beyond that is, is a, a win. Game. It's a win. Yeah. And like that was just like what was ingrained in my head. It's like, well, sure, in its own right, like don't shy away from the fact that stuff could go wrong. But what happens if you start analyzing like you expect everything to go amazingly well? Like life gets better when you start looking at the positives versus assuming the negatives are always going to be there. And admittedly, love Lindsay's parents to death. They are, our relationship has grown 180 degrees, like it completely morphed in the past year and a half. Yes. By the fact that they see me being a good father to Gianna and and a great husband to Lindsay, and they know who I am as a person now is different. Like, they could pick up on my shit when I, before they even knew there was shit, I'm sure they could pick up on it. Before that, there's no part of Lindsay's parents' lives that I want. No, exactly. I Not agree. degrading them, just as I look at people's lives, how they live, where they're at health wise, what they're doing at this stage in life. I'm not like, man, I really wish I could have that. So I take what they say with a grain of salt, just enough that I can brush off the table and go create my own. Mm hmm. Because it doesn't matter to me. I'm not well, taking we, advice from false idols. Right. And we, we do that a lot just kind of in our own little world. We, I think we probably get together, not get together, but we chit chat about something 
that we want to manifest in our world at least once a week. We talk about what that, whether it's three months from now or next month or by the end of the summer, Mm -hmm. something that we want for ourselves, our family, individually, whatever it may be. And we talk about those things and put it out there. And that's all that support structure because before what would happen is I would believe in the power of positivity. And you can call it the secret. You can go back into Napoleon Hill's work or after him, Jim Rohn or whoever you want to put together the pieces of. I I look at Napoleon Hill as a godfather of all this stuff, but let's assume that's not true. Whoever you believe has created or enabled us to know that the law of attraction could exist, I didn't have someone that could think on that wavelength because it sounds pretty fucking crazy at first. It just does. But as crazy as it sounds, like I remember being sick to my stomach of knowing the fact there was going to be a day if I didn't take action that Lindsay and my ex-girlfriend were going to meet. And I knew it was going to be a catastrophic collision. And I would wake up and my stomach would be upset. And like I could visualize. I knew it was coming. And what the fuck happened? It, it came. happened. And it, it, it deserved <laughs> to happen. But it only doesn't work with crazy shit like that. Like it works with I'm going to get a flat tire or I'm going to be late to work or I'm going to get a promotion. Like have you ever had an event that you're like, man, I knew this was going to happen. I saw it. I thought about it. I knew it was coming. Like we've all had that. And some of us call it deja vu. Some of us call it like intuition. I look at that as the law of attraction in its own right. If you focus on something enough and you take consistent daily action towards it and you can do that long enough, it's going to show up eventually. Mm-hmm. That whole outlast and the suck thing. Like there's going to be times where I don't, I don't want it. Like I've shared with Lindsay multiple times. I know the exact house we're going to own. I know the four-car garage, it's up the left side of the driveway. I know it's white in color. I know it's slightly elevated. I know it's five bedrooms and six bathrooms. I know it has almost like a spa environment in the basement that has a cool pool and an infrared sauna and a small gym. Like I know exactly what it is. I can see the woodwork. I don't have the funds because I've also committed to at this point because of being broke before and never wanting to be broke again. I think we get ourselves in the financial pickle because we try to buy more house than we can really afford. Mm-hmm. And what most people do is they save up 20%, they put down 20%, and they finance 80% for 30 years. And let's say you buy a $200,000 house. If you look at it, by the time you pay off that $200,000 house, you paid 600 grand. And say, so can you 30 years to pay 600 grand for something that is now worth, let's say, 650 grand? So everybody's like, I got my house paid off, I made all this fucking money. Kind of, you've made 50 grand over 30 years. If you would have given me that same 200 grand and had me invest it, I would bet I could make you more than 50 grand in 30 years. So we all have it backwards, in my opinion. If I can't put 80% down on a house and finance 20% for five years, I shouldn't buy the house. Same thing with our cars. If I can't write a check for a car, I'm not going to buy it because I've had cars repossessed, because I've lived above my means, because all of a sudden businesses went left when I was thinking they were going to go right and I had no money left. I'm never going to put my family in that position again. It's never going to happen. But in saying that, it's been a shift for Lindsay because she came from a more traditional household. She came from the fact of finance a house for 30 years, grow up in the same place. Like she's, she's been exposed to these things, finance cars. And I mean, that's normal life for most people. But there's this different support structure that comes when you're willing to listen. And we sit down and have open communication. Like you're supporting me in the fact of understanding like, fuck, we really want different things than we have now. Mm-hmm. We want a bigger house and a nicer neighborhood. And, fancier horse and I want a fucking Rolls Royce ghost. No, I want nice horses and he wants nice cars. I've wanted a ghost forever. (laughs) And honestly, right now at this moment with the money we have in savings and what I get financed for, I have no doubt I could go buy a ghost tomorrow. But it's backwards from how life should be. Yes. We're not going to do that. We are not going to do that. And I I had a a conversation with a a buddy of mine yesterday just quickly. And he, he was in the midst of looking to buy a Maserati. And I talked him out of it. It's crazy. Like me being an inherent car guy, like fucking love cars. I'm talking this guy out of it because he's going to finance the car. And I know it's a bad move. 
I know it's a bad move because I've been in that world before, and I've also lost my ass on cars. So oh, talk, yeah. Talk them out of it and trying to get them to see the light of, like, pay cash for a car. Buy the nicest car you can afford to write a check for. And if it's not a nice enough car based off the money you have, then don't buy it. Like, just wait. Save up more money. And so he messaged me yesterday. Two days ago is when we spoke about the Maserati. Messaged me yesterday. He's like, man, I thought about it. I slept overnight. You're exactly right. It just dawned on me. Like, this is stupid. This guy's a financial advisor in his own right. Like, like it's, it's crazy the way this shit works. But he changes his mind, and he, he comes clean like, I'm, I'm just going to trade in my – he has two different cars. I'm going to trade in both cars. I'm going to pay cash for a third car. Thank you so much. He goes, but I almost got hypnotized by the, the, that smell of Italian leather. He's like, well, what, what are you? You, you said you're going to buy a fucking ghost. I'm like, absolutely. When I have a house that's paid off in cash, when I have 400 grand in liquidity, and I can go write a check for a used ghost for 120 grand, I will absolutely do it. I won't think twice about it. It won't feel a little bit bad. Because there is no chance our family can be impacted by that decision. Yep. Anytime I do it before then, it's being disingenuous. So good news is when you guys see me in that car a year and a half or two years from now, you'll know exactly where I sit financially. It won't be a secret to it. <laughs> but in that, as Lindsay's saying, yep, like she's supporting that. But it's not a one-way street. Like What happens a lot of times to me in relationships is the man's expected to be supported. Like The man's going out earning and providing. Like that's our role. Right. And I know gender roles and all that shit, but I think they really, truly still exist. Like the man is supposed to go out and be the breadwinner and provide and protect, empower his wife or the female of the house or his girlfriend to also do what she feels passionate about. By the end of the day, the man should be leading the charge. It's just what I believe. Not in a sexist way, but in the fact of I believe it ends up being healthier in your relationships when that's the way the world is created. Yes. And I mean, that's not to say that you don't empower, empower me to do my own thing or keep me from doing something or you should stay at home and do the dishes like that is not our household at all. No. And it's not a thing about income either. Like, I don't give a shit if the man is out producing and he's producing 60 grand a year and his wife's producing 160 grand a year. Right. It's nothing to do with income. It has to do with the fact of being the man, like being the the leader, being out in front, like showing that you care enough to go and build and create and take passion and pride in what you're doing. Like that stuff matters to me a lot. As a woman, I like that. And I believe a lot of women do. But for that, it, you also have to reverse the role as a man. Like I have to support Lindsay and figure out what she needs and what's important to her. And that really started for her and I during her time at MedVet, you know, a local veterinary hospital, one of the biggest veterinary hospitals in the in the country. Lindsay was I believe at that point, leading the critical care. Uh, no, I, I ran a surgery service for one of the specialty surgeons there. There it is. Okay. Yep. So she's she's very actively involved. But what's happening is she's scrambling out of the house by 830 in the morning at best, sometimes earlier, to take Gianna to preschool, daycare, whatever it would be. Mm-hmm. She's then fighting rush hour traffic. She's then staying at work until 430, 5 o'clock. She's fighting rush hour home to make sure she's there to get Gianna by 6. Or asking her parents to do it, or asking me to do it. By the time she gets home at six thirty or seven, and she's starting to hate her life. Yeah, because then it's mama, mama, mama. Right? You've got kids that need stuff, and then dogs and that need stuff. And I'm needy. Husband that needs stuff. Yeah. People need fed. Laundry still needs done. Dishes still need done. Stuff needs picked up. And there's only you know maybe two and a half hours until it's time to get that mama kid to bed. Mm-hmm. Who's still saying, hey, mama. So, you know, then it it's what, what time is left. And not that you don't help, but the majority of those kind of things falls on 
the woman. And it's, I mean, someone's going to hate this. It's the role reversal and you should empower this. But fuck your shit. Like, I'm sorry that that's the role. The kids want the mom. The kids want, have you ever seen those memes that say, oh, I believe your dad also knows how to get you a snack? Like, but the kids ask. And then there's no time for me. And then it's back up and doing the same thing again. Yeah, and admittedly, I am the worst ever at doing laundry. I fucking hate laundry. When I lived <laughs> as, a, as a bachelor, I would do laundry when I was completely out of underwear and undershirts, and then I would throw them all in the washer. I'd spend an afternoon washing them, and then I'd have them all in a big pile. And I would never fold them. They'd sit in two laundry baskets. i carry the laundry baskets upstairs to my room. They'd sit on the floor. I'd take clothes out of the laundry basket that I needed them, and then just repeat the cycle. That has really been my story from the time I was in college until now. Hasn't really ever changed. No, he still lives out of laundry baskets. I will do the laundry and fold it and then take it upstairs and then he just picks out of the baskets. So needless to say, I'm kind of worthless when it comes to laundry. Like I don't put a lot of value in it. I actually asked Lindsay now from where we sit in life. I said, look, let's get ourselves someone to help us around the house to free up more of your time so you feel more empowered. Let me support you in this by, you yep. know, run an ad. Let's find somebody that we can help out or can help us out. I look at it two ways now. I look at it, it's our responsibility as people that have done at least okay for ourselves that there's a group of people that would love to work three or four hours a day, two or three days a week to fill in their time, make a little bit of walking around cash, that love to clean and help. And maybe it helps put their kid through school or maybe it helps subsidize their retirement or maybe they just fucking love it and we're doing something they're passionate about. Because it's something I'm not passionate about. Like, this is a Tim, Tim Ferriss four-hour work week deal. If it's not making you money and you can't get it done easily, outsource it to somebody else because you'll make more money in your free time. Like, that's just how this shit works for me, and I don't like it. So if I don't like something, same thing with mowing the yard. I don't like mowing our yard. No, and I don't either. So we out, outsource it. We like, outsourced it. It's a $20 deal. So someone comes, is it 80 bucks a month to have somebody mow our yard? Like, sure. Is that wasteful to some people? Absolutely. We have our own fucking lawnmower. We don't have a big yard. We live on a golf no, course. There's like, really like zero excuse that we can't mow our own yard other than the fact that neither one of us like to do it. So it probably wouldn't get done in a timely manner and our neighbors would complain. And you just, it doesn't make us any money. No, and it's it, that's part of the communication from the pre previous episode plus the support attached around it. It started with Lindsay complaining to me like, go mow the fucking yard. And so I eventually had to communicate to her with like, I don't care how big or small our yard is. I don't want to mow it. Yeah, I was mowing the yard and I went, you know what? I'm not doing this on top of everything else I do in this house. Go mow the fucking yard. And he was like, okay. He did it one time and he went, I'm paying somebody to do this. I don't want to mow it. Yeah. Went, okay. Yeah, Sounds like, good. It's communication and then support behind it. I, I explained why. You, we could also call it a justification, but it's an explanation for me at that point. I don't enjoy it. I don't want to go outside. I don't want to spend 35, 40 minutes doing it when I get home. Like, just not for me. I don't take pride in my yard work. Like, I'd much rather get out with her and go ride the Harley for an hour. Like, that's a better use of time to me. And so she supports that, but I'm supporting her back. So she's at MedVet and she's disgruntled by the lack of time she has. And she is slowly burning herself out and she's not able to go to the gym and she's just grumpy. Like, we have this term i don't know where we came up with it grumpopotamus yeah I, there was there was at some point in life Make the noise it's not gonna come. yeah I, I will it's not gonna translate all that well but no. there was some point as, as gianna's growing up where she was grumpy like there was something that you know frowning and sitting on the couch and just mad about whatever time to go to bed brush your teeth you're not having a snack name what it was and so i thought i can make her laugh and there was something on tv about a hippopotamus or maybe it's on youtube and so i look at her and say quit being a grumpopotamus we lost it. And I don't even know if I can make the It's not gonna translate on the microphone, but he, he has a he has a grumpopotamus has its own noise. And so if somebody in our household is being grumpopotamus, 
he starts to make the noise. And it is, any any one of us three will start to make the noise at the at the grumpopotamus person. Yes, and it ends up you hear the noise and you hear the word grumpopotamus. See the facial expression of the person trying to make this. It's like a hissing sound followed with like a, a lip flabbergasted like. Shh. <laughs> like it, it's so, it's so bad. But it, if you've ever seen that, like watch the hippopotamus video, they have this really weird sound themselves when they come out of the water. So it's kind of like this hybrid version of how I'm being a hippopotamus. Yeah. But it's a grumpopotamus. And so I saw her becoming this grumpopotamus all the time. Like she's the value and the power that she has in our relationship is being diminished by the environment that she's in. Not by her as a person, by the fact she's being worn down by. I'll call societal confines. I'm exhausted. On call, weekends, holidays, bullshit. Over it. But Lindsay's super used to, from her upbringing, you work 40 hours a week for 40 years, and then you retire with 40% of your income, and that's how you live out the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a 40-40-40 plan for her. That's what her family did. That's That's what her parents have done. Like, that's life. That's what she was accustomed to. And me and the polar opposite, I'm like, man, fuck this. Stop working. Like, we'll figure out another job for you. Like, you'll do anything else to make money for yourself. And there's just almost disbelief that it could be possible because she's seen the worst part of being an entrepreneur at this point with me. She's seen the fact of, wait, this guy had all this money and all this cool shit. And now he has no money no and money. I'm bailing him out of life. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, why the fuck would I sign up for that? Like, just trust me. Like, you'll be good at it. So she ends up finding Rodan and Fields. Yeah. I, I, I joined a Rodan and Fields MLM and it was fabulous. Yeah. And so she... She starts finding power and purpose at that moment in Rodan and Field. She builds a fairly successful, I can't even call it little, a successful business. Enough yeah. so that she's able to stop working, supplement her income, work, uh, you know, not stop working. Because obviously to make any sort of money and impact, you have to put in the time. But mm-hmm. she's able to do it from her laptop in a couple hours in the morning, a couple hours at lunch, a couple hours in the evening. Like it's not consuming eight or nine hours a day. It feels more like four hours a day. Yeah. And it, it was it was uh, by choice on on when and where I wanted to work that business. Absolutely. Which was very nice to have the time freedom. I stayed at home with Gianna when she was born until she went to preschool Mm -hmm. and then just kind of worked around her schedule. And it wasn't until I got divorced that I went back to work full time. So I was very happy to get away from the regular nine to five work world and be able to be flexible for Gianna and for you. Of course, but that came down to the support. Like it's it's not only the financial support, it's the mental and emotional support that I was giving to Lindsay at that time that is oftentimes just neglected as a man. Like Lindsay was had trepidation about leaving the comfort of what she knew, which is normal. Like we get ingrained in things that we think suit us or benefit us. All of us do. It's hardwired in our DNA. Right. And I also had that preconceived notion that everybody does that 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 certain dollar amount was going to come every two weeks and I knew what was going to be in that paycheck and I knew what our life expenses were and I knew how to budget it out and if I didn't have that I had that kind of oh shit moment what what the fuck do I do now I'm I I don't know how much I'm going to get paid Mm -hmm. or when and so it takes me supporting her through that like I've lived that life now for five six seven years like this is not old hat to me but I remember that change and that feeling and that mindset from going from I know I'm at least going to make we'll call it four grand a month into oh shit I don't know if I'm gonna make anything like it's all sales or commission based or then it's all self-owned based it's a different feeling and so not coddling her but empowering her telling her it's gonna be all right listening to her like like what are you going through what are you feeling like are you receptive to advice? Can I share some things with you that work for me? Like not telling her this is how it goes. No, you're a fixer by nature, but you're very good about saying like, 
would you like to know my thoughts on this? Instead of just shoveling them in my face. Because a lot of times with my crazy Italian attitude, I don't really want your shit opinion right now. No. Is how, but, but you are so good about having that support and just saying, you know, what, what can I do for you, sweetheart? Like, would you like to know my thoughts on this? Yeah, and but, I either say yes or no. And thank you. And I think as, as men, that's a lot of our issues. I don't think that I'm the only fixer on the planet by any means. I'm certainly not the only fixer listening to this episode right now. But I've taken the time to understand how to apply beneficial pressure when I'm asked for it. And that's a learned skill, but that comes from, again, taking a step back to the previous episode, it comes from communication. It comes from understanding the fact of, okay, Lindsay is reactionary by nature. It's, again, hard-coded in her DNA. Oh, so yeah, super reactionary. Something goes right or goes wrong, and it's a big explosion on either side. And it's momentary. It's a lot of sound and fury signified by nothing. Like, it's, it's, it's right there. But then give her an hour... And it's calmed down and give her two hours and basically gone where I'm the opposite. I don't get reactionary at all. And as time progresses, I get more and more pissed off and more build up. And then I then it boils over in some capacity. Never really from yelling for me. Just then it's inside of me. and I got to get rid of it. So I understand that about Lindsay and understand that's how she communicates. Then it's my job to support her through that, not to change that because that's who she is. And so often as fixers, we want to change people because we think people can operate better if they just did it our way. Well, my way is never going to be Lindsay's way. I can't ever make it her way. I have to support her through her process and procedure. And so she blows up. She gets crazy. And I literally will just sit there, like deadpan eye contact. Oh, it kills me sometimes, too, because I'm like, why aren't you getting worked up over this? And I'll just keep going, and he'll just sit and just wait for me to be done. Because she's trying at some point. Like, when she's seeing she's not getting a rise out of me, like my emotional status is not increasing at the same rate that hers is. It's making her more fiery, so she's trying to get me to elevate yeah, I'm like, man, come on, get in, good or bad. It's not always a, a this is not a, a blow up thing. It could be like, let's get excited about this. Just how it is. And so I stay pretty steadfast. And then I wait, I let her calm down. And then we have the conversation that comes from that support, though. And so you, you look at the Rodan and Fields thing. And then eventually, Lindsay got just burnt out. Like she realized the fact, at some point, that trying to convince people to sign up to also sell Rodan and Fields was not her cup of tea. She was good at it. It just she wanted something different. She didn't yeah. want to hustle people into being a part of an MLM that only a handful of people were dedicated. It's the 80-20 rule, just like any business. Oh, 100%. But she had been in part of a, a medical world where there is no 80-20. It's 100. Like if you get to that level and you are a surgeon inside of a medical facility or an internal medicine specialist, whoever you are, like you're not only sh- like you're not playing small ever. Like you have to be going big all the time. So she was painfully aware of 100% when the world is 80-20. She'd sign up 10 people, eight people would be fucking complete duds, two people would kind of get it figured out, and one would maybe eventually go into making some sort of income from this. Fair? Yeah, and it was just it was just exhausting, and I didn't want to babysit people anymore. And that's okay. That just wasn't for me. I still use all of my RF stuff, and I love it. The products are great. Yeah, and you still people buy products, right? Yeah, I, I still have a lot of customers, and I still have a team, actually, that sells and, and mm-hmm. does stuff, which is great. I'm just, I don't actively pursue, hey, you should sign up for this and go sell it yourself. And that comes back to what we've talked about before. Like, I use the products, and I love them, so I'll share them with people, but I'm not going to pressure you into buying something. Some things are for you and some things they're not. Absolutely. And so Lindsay's go-to in a panic situation consistently is I'm just going to go back to work. It's time for me. We can't do – I just am going back to work. We won't have any money come in for a couple of months and I'd be like, fuck this. We're like, this is scaring me to death. I'm going to go back to work. And so to put uh, the frame on it as I typically do, same thing I say to her. All right, let's walk this backwards for just a moment. 
you're going to go back to an environment where if you're lucky, you're going to make $40,000 a year. Roughly, that's about $3,500 a month. By the time you take out taxes, gas, all that stuff, you're going to be left with about two grand in your pocket, two grand spending cash to walk around with. What else in life could you do that you don't have to leave the house, you don't have to travel, that you don't have to fight rush hour, that you don't have to miss Gianna growing up to bring in $3,000 in cash? Because the implications of that and not having the time and all that, it's about going to be a wash. It's going to be about the same. And she looks at me and she gets mad and she's like, fuck. <laughs> every time. He does it to me every time. You're right. Because it is. Like, I am right. Like You're it, right. You're 100% right. And it's atrocious that I live that way for so long. Like, if you're an individual that's making, and I'm not degrading this at all, but if you're someone that's making thirty-five dollars to $40,000 a year, I heavily encourage you to consider other opportunities that allow you more flexible time and freedom that you could replace that income. Because you're at a level in a lifestyle right now where you have control to go build something on your own. When you get to the 100000 150, 200000 it's pretty tough to cut bait, start all over, and replace that amount of income right away. But in a month or two, most of the time, you can figure out how to hustle, if you will, and start creating your own business that will supplement that sort of income. Like, it's not that hard. Feel free to listen to this episode somewhere in my profile. It says ryan at gsdmediagroup.com. Shoot me an email. I'll literally give you 30 ideas on how you can, 30 is probably an overkill. I'll give you a handful of ideas that mm-hmm. I known I know have worked for people that you could go out and learn. I don't know if I have time to teach you, but I can share them with you. Because we have done that as a family. So Lindsay goes from that into eventually owning a roofing management company where local contractors, local salespeople really, in the roofing industry have contracted Lindsay and her company to help with their marketing and run their books and order jobs. And you're better at explaining it. No, they're just people that are really good at what they do. They go out and they are able to find, you know, uh, roofing repairs, uh, renovations of any kind, gutters, soffits, interior work, that kind of stuff. Really good at their craft, really good at what they do, but they suck at the business part of it, right? I, I ran hospital stuff for years. I know how that goes. So they're not good with the insurance companies or the running of the books, or the handling of the employees or, you know, any of the accounting or the marketing or Facebook. And so I do that for them. And then that allows them to just focus on what they do in their business and they're good at. Well, absolutely. And that ties back into this whole 80-20 rule I just discussed. Like I think that exists for people in business as well. Most business owners that I know are still consumed spending 80% of their time focusing on the 20% of their life that's not really going to make them any money. Like it's this weird backwards thing where if you own a small business and you're worried about the accounting and the bookkeeping when your sole priority should be to go out and sell, you're not able to go sell. You're consumed with all the monotony and mundane work. And so your sales start to slow down and your business self implodes. Where if, you, if you're the best in the world in your, in your world at selling, you need to go out and do that and then backfill in the positions that are kind of automated. Much yep. like Lindsay's. Like, and that's Lind- where my management position comes in. And what's nice is I can do that from anywhere. We have an office here, so people come in and meet me here twice a week for the accounting or payouts or whatever it may be. And then the rest of the stuff I can do around, honestly, in the summertime, Gianna's schedule. Mm-hmm. Because that's what life is about. But it comes down to that support. Like, I support Lindsay. It's been the most painful amount of support ever is supporting her fucking horse riding habit. Oh, and I he say fucking hates because the horse riding. I don't fully get it. I try to. I'm new to this. Like, Lindsay's grown up with this. She's had horses her entire life, and she's incredibly accomplished, and she truly, like, loves it. So I get it from the fact of seeing her beam when she gets off a horse, when she's at a barn. Like, her whole physiology changes. So I support her in it. But I didn't realize the time, energy, monetary value of horses and what they take. It's so Ryan is big on 
ROI, return on investment. And he does not understand the return on investment with a horse at all. Because honestly, if you're a horse... Or if you're a horse person, there's no return. There really isn't, right? You pay all these monies to go to these horse shows and you trot around your big fancy horse and you jump the big fancy jumps and then you get a ribbon and maybe a couple hundred dollars of prize money and you get points at the end of the year and you maybe win a new halter or saddle pad or a bridle or something fun. And it's like, yes, I did it. But from a horse person's perspective, it's about, it's the, the team building. It's that it's a sport. And so, I mean, unless you're a professional athlete, you're not getting an, a lot of ROI. You're a high school kid that plays football and you freaking love it. And, and you're great at it until you're not anymore. And I just plan to be that high school kid that's great until I'm not anymore. Uh-huh. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's been a tough pill to swallow to support the horse riding. I originally brought, we hadn't had horses based off, you know, where we we're at financially. We hadn't had horses the entire time we were together. And I knew it was part of her life that she was missing. Like she'd shared enough pieces and parts. She never made me feel guilty about it, but she just didn't have part of what she needed. And so I found from an old friend of mine from back when I was in the car days, she had posted on Facebook that she was selling a horse. Her family owned a horse farm. And so I communicated back and forth and I thought I was being super slick. I thought I had this whole thing set up because I don't know anything about these horses. I just know she owned a horse farm and she's a good rider. Didn't know there's different types of riding. Didn't know any of this stuff. But there's this horse that's, I think I had her talk down to like 5,500 or six grand, which is still a lot of money. I'm not, but it's not like these damn horses get to like a couple hundred thousand dollars. So there's a big discrepancy, which I didn't know then. So I convinced Lindsay to go look at this horse. I'm all excited because I think, man, it's perfect. She says, yes, we can figure out how to buy the horse, keep it at the barn. We're good. Yeah, in his in his head, it's very very simple. And me, I'm coming from Wellington, Florida, and you know where they have the biggest, fanciest Olympic jumpers on the planet, and the best riding clinics and the best barns. And he's like, just go to this little little barn and see this horse. And I'm like, okay, sure, this is great. Like he's he's supporting this. He's taking an interest. Like he's taking the time to to research this and find somebody. And then the horse isn't what she wants at all. It's. <laughs> got something wrong with it physically it doesn't it's not the right type of horse as far as what it's good at doing the barn is actually getting sold so they're moving it so it's not convenient but i opened pandora's box because now i oh yeah he fucked himself on this one yeah i'm like i want to support you so i figured this horse out we're good to go and in my mind horses are like seven or eight grand well then we start looking at like 25 and thirty thousand dollar horses which she still is saying are just barely adequate Somebody's going to think I'm such an asshole listening to this thing, but you have to, you, you have are. to understand, I know, but you have to understand the horse world and, um, it's just it, a $20,000 horse is cheap in a horse world. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. So <laughs> we end up eventually leasing a horse versus buying a horse and that's a whole racket because you pay all this money and you don't get anything at the end. And Lindsay's actually making these horses better. Like she's a, a very accomplished rider and she can take a horse that's a mediocre horse and turn it into a. We just work on its problems a little and make it, you know. Yeah. A little better. Yeah, she ends up making a mediocre horse uh, entry-level, high-level horse would be the best way to say it. I don't know how to – like, she increases the value. And so it's wild. Like, we pay money to make somebody else's asset <laughs> worth more money when she's done riding. And it's, it's all the money goes away. And then you pay for food and you pay for board and you pay for all this shit. So either way, I still sound a little grumpopotamus myself about this. Total grumpopotamus. But I'm supporting the fact that I know that she needs this in her life. I don't have to understand it. Much I've, much the same as the warrior stuff, yeah. which we've covered. I've been out to the barn a handful of times. I don't avoid it. It's just if it fits in my schedule, I go. We were just there this past weekend. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the horse, and we've switched horses, and I know the guys and the, the, the families at the barn. And 
and I see just a general enjoyment and excitement she gets. I don't like the flies. I don't like the smell. I don't like the fucking sounds. I don't. I don't like any of it. It's not for me. But part of supporting doesn't mean acceptance. Like I don't have to accept it as part of my life. I just don't have to. No different than what Linda's saying right now about Warrior. She knows that Warrior has changed my life. She's changed, it's changed our family's life. She's been very vocal about that, social media, on this podcast. Like, it's made me a better person and through me, our family. Yes, I agree. And I live what we will call the Warrior's way every day to the best of my possible ability. But part of Warrior is consistent events. There's, there's an event going on right now in Huntington Beach, California that I wasn't supposed to be at. Now, business stuff and podcasts and travel, like it's it's becoming difficult for me to get out there. And it with and last, out there, he means California. Yeah, yeah Huntington Beach, California. Yeah. We're recording this in Columbus, Ohio. So it ends up being a six or seven hour trip to get out there. And because it's last minute flights, it could be as much as 1200 bucks round trip and plus hotel stay. So all of a sudden, you're looking at 1500 two grand just for what's now going to be a two or three day week, like two or three day event. And because I've been to now four, three or four different events total, maybe, maybe, Probably three, I think, is the right actual number. And because I live this way the whole time, she's like, I just don't get it. Like, what are you going to do? Like, where where's the value? Yeah, and I, we, we've talked about this before privately at home, and um, I don't want to take anything away from Warrior because it has changed who you are as a person and gotten you to realize just what your gifts are and own those things for yourself. And it's been amazing. Like, you truly are living that. But in that, going to another event and an in, and then another event and then another event to me it starts feeling like you know this stuff so well and inside and out and it's so who you are that you don't need to go to another event for somebody to quote unquote teach you this way you you are the way you live the way you know the way yes and part of where I'm at and part of the ascension model they take us through is there's a certain piece of camaraderie and finally being around these men, these two or 300 other men that will be there that you forge bonds with and relationships with and friendships with, that you're all interacting and you're all expanding together. Because in daily life for me, it gets pretty tough. Like there's the guys at the office, maybe one or two guys in a social circle, but the majority of the life doesn't run at the speed that I run. And so it's tough to find people to interact with and truly bond with for me. Yeah. Not that I'm elitist or better, like I just do things differently. And I do things in a way that is sequential and segmented and there's a bunch of us that do it the same way and called all guys in the warrior movement of some capacity or another and so i get where Lindsay's coming from but she's still ultimately at the end of the day this is the first time where i don't feel like she's actually supporting it like yeah I just th- don't. this past this past week trip that he's supposed to have been going on i i wasn't i wasn't supportive of that i i honestly looked at him and said you know what i don't really see the value in you going to this one in particular but if that's something that you want to do then you go so that, that was about the extent of my support where the other parts I've always been, you know, okay, go, this is what you should do. Yes, I get it. Like this is for you. It's going to help you. It's going to change you. This is what you want. I see it. I don't understand fully what it is like when we first started this, but okay, let's, let's do it. Um, but this one was a little, little different for me. So here we are selling the fence and if I'm going, there's flights out tonight and tomorrow morning. It's it's back and forth because I, it feels strange when she's not supporting it. Like normally she's like, just go and we'll figure it out. Like it doesn't really matter. And this is the first time she hasn't been there. So the support doesn't have to be blind support either. You don't have to just support because you know you're supposed to. A part of this relationship stuff and speaking up and sharing your thoughts and feelings are expressing them and having calm conversations about the impact of decisions on the household. Like yeah, I certainly it? wouldn't be upset or mad about it. I just 
personally don't see the value in the time and the money for you going out there for this particular thing because I don't understand it. And so I've been upfront and open about that particular event. Of course. And Lindsay is phenomenal just as I am. I think we all probably are. And then we want to prove a point. We try to make it relative or relevant to other aspects of life. So for me, I instantly want to feel back at her like, your horse costs way more every month than this fucking trip. (laughs) This is no big deal. I go on three or four of these a year. Like, fuck you. You have an expensive fucking habit and hobby, and I don't have any of that shit right now. I go to a fucking gym that costs me 70 bucks a month. Like, that's my expensive habit. I don't spend money on steroids anymore. I spend very little money on nutritional products anymore. Fuck you. Yes, this is this is our and, and people are like, well, we saying fuck you to his wife. But the, these are how we have our conversations. It's never a mean fuck you. It's like, no, fuck you. Like, listen to what I'm saying. Yeah, that's how we communicate, though. For sure. And I think that, you know, you don't have to have this filter. Like, I'm never disrespectful to Lindsay. I, oh, I'm, absolutely not. I wouldn't tolerate it. Of course not. It's just you have you just communicate and you find that support. You find the balance of where the support is pushed to its limit before it breaks. And that's just part of the relationship. That's where we're at now. You know, I'm going to encourage you as you listen to figure out where in life you could support your spouse a little better, your girlfriend better. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe you need to support yourself because you're just in between relationships. Is it, could you support yourself better in going to the gym? Like for me, a lot of power, a lot of focus, a lot of sanity in Lindsay and I's relationship is that's been the, the consistent. In our first episode we had together, you know we met at the gym. Like I need that hour a day. That's my time. And Lindsay started to work out with me. But even in that, like, I still want my headphones on. I just kind of want to work out. Like, just follow me. Work out. I'll help you out. But, like, that's my time. Maybe that's your time. Maybe you need to support your spouse in getting back to the gym or support that you don't like there at the gym, but you don't understand why. Like, that support could really matter. Or maybe the, you should support more of what they want to do for a career. Like, it doesn't have to fully make sense. At some point, if your partner's being called to go to some different level in their life, you have to support the fact and trust that things are just going to work out the way they're supposed to. Like this podcast, for instance, and the, the, the path that this is going to take me down or is taking me down right now, that we're in the process of going down together. Or maybe it's just supporting your relationship. You know, you really need to sit back and see where could you be more supportive to your partner? Like where could you encourage them to be more and do more and be happier? And when you itemize those and figure out what those are, then you communicate about it and take action about it. Like, it's not enough just to say, I'm going to support somebody. You have to physically show up and support them. But if you're willing to sit down and take the time to put those three pieces together and really consistently do the work on them, I guarantee your relationship gets more healthy. I guarantee it gets more stable. I guarantee you end up having more sex. I, I mean, all the things that go into this all will end up filling up your buckets quicker. And to me, when my bucket's all the way filled up, I get way more shit done. Hey guys, Ryan here. Thanks for joining me today. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please head over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume audio and subscribe to 15 Minutes to Freedom. If this brought you value, please do me a favor and drop me a five-star rating. Then share this podcast with someone who needs to hear it. For additional content, head over to ryannidell.com. That's R-Y-A-N-N-I-D-D-E-L.com.